0: the small business buzz. I'm your host, attorney and entrepreneur, Kimberly Hanley. Today, I'm talking about an update to the law on disciplining employees for social media use. And we have Bruce Lawrence, known as America's Courage Coach, here to talk about raising the bar, and he'll give us some wisdom he's picked up through his hardships and successes. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Okay, let's get started. Today I'm talking about a case law update on disciplining employees for using social media. But first, I'll tell you what you need to know about employee free speech laws, and I'll give you a little bit of background on case law up to this point, which you should enjoy because case law is really a bunch of stories with outcomes. Okay, so here's where it all starts. Employers can make a social media policy and they can discipline employees for violating that policy. And at the same time, the National Labor Relations Act, which, by the way, applies to employees of private employers, whether or not they are part of a union, says that employees have the right to act together to address work conditions like how they are paid and unsafe working conditions and work schedules and all that sort of stuff. They call that concerted action. And employees are free to take part in concerted action anywhere, including on social media. So you have those two competing interests, and that makes for some ambiguity where you draw the line as to what's okay and what's not okay on both sides. For employers, the clear line is when you set up a social media policy that says you can't be on Facebook and such during work hours, and then someone is on Facebook while they're at work, and then you fire them, or you discipline them in whatever way you discipline them. No problem. What isn't a clear line is when an employee posts something negative about your company on social media on their own time and you want to do something about it. If it counts as protected speech because it's concerted action, you're in trouble if you discipline them for it. If it doesn't count as concerted action and it's just an individual gripe, then you're free to fire them or do whatever you do to discipline them. Well. Assuming there's not some other policy or procedure in place that you need to follow, but that's a whole different topic for some other day. What we're talking about today is how do you know what is or isn't going to be considered concerted action? Well, really all we can do is look at what the court, or in this case the National Labor Relations Board, has ruled about other situations that people have been in. In other words, we'll look at the case law. First, let's look at the situations where they said it wasn't concerted action and it was okay to discipline the employees. When an employee tweets messages that are critical of his boss on a personal level but didn't relate to anything for the terms or conditions of his employment and didn't involve any other employees, that's not a concerted action and that guy was rightfully disciplined. When an employee posts a complaint that he hasn't gotten a raise in five years and was doing the waitresses' jobs without tips, calling customers rednecks, and otherwise making snarky remarks about the clientele, he hadn't ever attempted to have a meeting or initiate any activity regarding the tipping policy or raises, and he hadn't shared the post with his co-workers, and none of his co-workers had commented on the post that was considered an individual gripe and not concerted action. When an employee publicly disparaged the employer's product quality and business practices, but didn't relate it in any way to a labor controversy, that was just disloyalty and not concerted action, and he was right to get the boot. When an employee complains of tyranny by his employer, says that the employer is about to get a wake-up call when a bunch of people are about to quit, and called the assistant manager a super mega puta, which is a super mega not nice thing to say about your boss, that wasn't concerted action because his complaints weren't trying to get his co-workers to engage in a group action. He was simply on his own rant. So maybe you're picking up on a pattern here. Employee complains on a personal level that has nothing to do with working conditions and doesn't involve other co-workers, then it's not concerted action. Okay, so let's look at when it is considered concerted action. When an employee posts, and I quote, Lydia Cruz, a coworker, feels that we don't help our clients enough at Hub. I about had it. My fellow coworkers, how do you feel? And then one of the coworkers commented on that post, Tell her to come do my effing job and see if I don't do enough. This is just dumb. Okay, well, I didn't exactly quote that, but I think you get the idea. That was concerted action because the posts were related to a coworker's criticizing how the employees did their job, and they have a protected right to discuss that. Also, when posts talk about labor code violations, or payroll tax mismanagement, or workers' rights law violations. Okay, well, that was several cases rolled up into one, but you get the point. Those relate to working conditions and are designed to start a dialogue about it among coworkers. So that's all protected speech. That's all concerted action. So here's the latest. In a case called Triple Play Sports Bar and Grill, the owners had miscalculated the employee's state income tax withholding, and everyone owed money to the state. The employees complained to the owners, and a meeting had been scheduled to discuss it. But before the meeting happened, a former employee posted about having to pay the state and that it was the owners who messed up. Two customers and two coworkers commented, and another coworker liked the post. The post and the comment string weren't exactly tactful. When one of the employees who made a negative comment and the one who liked the post came into work, they were fired for being disloyal. And notice that included the person who hadn't commented but had only liked the post. The end result was that the board said it was concerted action because they were having a conversation about an ongoing labor dispute over tax withholding practices. They were doing it on an individual's social media account, so that was about the same as talking about it in a public place where other people could have overheard. And the comments were not so disloyal as to have them lose their protection under the National Labor Relations Act because they weren't disparaging the bar's products or services, or undermining its reputation. So there you have it. You can't fire someone for commenting on or liking someone else's post when it concerns a concerted action. If a situation arises with your employees on social media and you're not sure whether you can discipline your employees or not, the best course of action that you can take is to run it by your legal counsel before you do anything. If you'd like to know more about this, be sure to check out today's blog post. The link is on my show notes, or you can find it on my website at khanlonlaw.com. That's k-h-a-n-l-o-n-l-a-w dot com. And while you're at it, sign up for my bi-weekly business newsletter. In each newsletter, I have articles that will help you in running your business, and sometimes I have bonus materials for you to download for free like small business legal guides, or webinars, or even sometimes model legal forms. In the upcoming newsletter, I'll have a guide to social media policies that you can download. Okay, and up next is my interview with Bruce Lawrence.
1: The life of an entrepreneur is a never-ending struggle to sharpen that competitive edge that will place your business ahead of the competition. Fortunately, the shape of the average workplace has changed. Finding that fine balance struck between cost efficiency and excellence is now easier than ever. We need help when we need help, but we don't need to be burdened with full-time staff. That's where Astute Business Concierge can help you. Astute Business Concierge. More than just smart, astute. Visit us on the web at astutebusinessconcierge.com to see how we could help you.
0: Okay, we're here with Bruce Lawrence, and it is such an honor and privilege to have him here today. Bruce is America's Courage Coach. And he's been a business coach and a marketing consultant and a turnaround specialist for Fortune 25 to 500 corporations. But now he turns his focus on small and medium-sized companies. He has been featured on Fox and NBC. He's been on CBS Radio. He used to be a ghostwriter for Crane's Business Magazine in Chicago, and he's been on plenty of other media outlets as well. So it's quite a boon for us to have Bruce Lawrence here today. So thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Kimberly. And uh, it's great to, uh, to be on the Small Business Buzz, and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, speak to your, uh, your audience. Thanks.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became America's Courage Coach?
1: Well, America's Courage Coach, uh, it's something that, uh, uh, you know, I think everybody looks at a persona, you know, based on their life experiences and really trying to define oneself, uh, is always very difficult because you don't want to seem self-important or, uh, or arrogant. But, uh, when I was growing up, you know, I, I look back on my mother, uh, having, uh, you know, suffered from clinical depression and, you know, she really did teach me the difference between having the courage to say something sometimes and just simply being mean. <laughs> and uh, so it's it's one of those things, I, I grew up in a very matter-of-fact family. Uh, and when it comes to clients that hire you to help uh, turn around a company that's, uh, you know, that's failing, uh, it takes a lot of courage sometimes mm-hmm. to talk to somebody uh, and tell them really more what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear. Uh, And that's even more important, it seems, in the Midwest. But I've had clients all over the world. And so one thing that I found very consistent is the culture of courage is the same. Being courageous is being courageous and being able to do that in a very diplomatic way. But effective is important because uh, people do have to make a decision when it comes to business or their personal life. Uh, Do you want your advice? Uh, to just be nice, or do you really want it to be effective? And sometimes doing the more difficult thing isn't always so easy. And uh, I have colleagues that uh, have been mentors, uh, Bill Walsh being one of those who is uh, America's business expert. And so some 20 years ago, that's where I actually started. My coaching career was with Power Team International and, and traveling around uh, the world with uh, several other incredible people like Jack Canfield and Donald Trump and Mark Victor Hansen and Les Brown people that that you know most of our audience would know uh were a, a big inspiration uh and so in some respects I thought wow I I don't want to be pretentious or self-important but when it comes to Bruce Lawrence and who I am uh I asked my own family you know what is the what's the greatest thing about daddy or husband or friend or brother you know, when you think about me, what do you think about? And they think about how courageous uh, I am, because I was an Army Special Forces soldier. I grew up in California on the West Coast in a very impoverished, you know, neighborhood in the housing projects, and we just didn't have a lot. And it just took courage every day sometimes to just simply walk the streets, uh, let alone not know what came next. Uh, and so that was the feedback that I was given, and uh, that's what kind of helped me decide that uh, that was going to be my quote unquote name.
0: Mm-hmm. and your gift to the world.'ve I've seen you um, interact with so many people, and what I see from you is that you have just an incredible heart and an incredible generosity, and you're right that you have a really straightforward way of getting to, What needs to be gotten to in communications?
1: Well, thanks, Kimberly. I I have a lot to uh, thank the martial arts for. Um, Being a kid who was kind of picked on because of where I did grow up, I experienced, uh, as a Caucasian boy, a lot of reverse discrimination because I grew up in very diverse neighborhoods in Southern California and then in the Central Valley when we moved. To the Vario, etc. And so you know, I would come home beat up, and my mother finally said, "At eight years old, that's it. Uh, time to put Bruce in Taekwondo." And so, from eight years old, I got my first black belt at twelve, and I'm a master in the martial arts now. And one of the most important things that I think uh, the martial arts for and mastery is teaching me that the three principles of mastery are being, knowing, and doing. And it's about being yourself, uh, knowing who you are, and then doing what you were made to do. And uh, that was really important. And, you know, I've I've broken life down into five categories as a business coach. And I found that uh, in many respects, uh, we look back and, and we see how those principles change. And those five categories are, for me now, in the uh, order, faith family, friends, finance, and fitness. And as you can see, money is not number one in the hierarchy of values. But I look back and I think, well, when I was 18 years old, those categories and those priorities were different. I was more focused on, it was probably back then, more fitness, finance, friends, family, And, and faith being last. So you can kind of see as we evolve as, as human beings and as people, uh, how those things change. And that's where in 2002, when we developed the master your marketplace system, which is another five step strategy, uh, many of my clients asked me, you know, Bruce, we really love what you do. You came in, you helped us turn our company around, but where is our ongoing relationship going to be? And so they wanted something very complex broken down for them. So the Master Your Marketplace system is now uh, analyze, strategize, plan, implement, and then simply put, assess how did we do at the end. And we find ourselves kind of going back sometimes to step one or step two or step three. It's not one of those marketing systems where, it's one size fits all, or once you're done, you're done. Uh, it's a constant and ongoing, uh, you know, strategy.
0: Well, in general, it's, especially for small businesses, it's, it's never one and done. I mean, things are always shifting and changing. And I, and I think that that's one of the advantages that a small business has over a large corporation. A large corporation is sort of like a jumbo jet. You know, a jumbo jet might, be able to fly you comfortably from New York to Paris. But if you want to make a course correction, you can't you can't do aerial flips <laughs> in a jumbo jet. You need a you need a smaller kind of, you know, fighter jet to do that. And in a way, small business is that.
1: Well I we often get asked, you know, Bruce, why uh why are you focusing now on helping the small to medium sized business if you came from a fortune level background and it was one of those things, after I got out of the military, uh, the first business that I built was an ambulance business with uh, a life light helicopter program. And, uh, you know, I, I really was just very young and very ambitious. And so uh, there were two ideologies. There was uh, ignorance on fire, which was me, and there was intelligence on ice, because I was able to look at people and see in the military uh, you know, you have that strategy. And I was, I was always responsible for, I was a, a flight combat paramedic. And so my job was to take that multi-million dollar aircraft and its crew and make sure that it took off and landed safely. Uh, and so my crew, uh, just as many people see in the military movies now, uh, like the one that's out, American Sniper, you know, we, we as military people are always looking out for our brother or sister's backs, not our own. Uh, and so that's kind of a mantra of ours, not, you know, leaving any person behind. But I did take the disciplines of both military service and leadership and what I learned uh as a young man becoming a master in the martial arts. And that was to the most important point I think I can say to the audience now is it's about learning the difference between discipline and punishment. And this is something that we have to unpack Uh, both on a personal level and a business level, because sometimes when we lose faith or trust within ourselves, we actually are destroying our own product or our own service. And not having that product or service is so key in in our success. How can you be the person to sell something that you don't really have? And and so there's a fundamental uh, difference there where, People oftentimes lose their self-esteem when they're very young, and I saw that as a young man growing up. When I was getting beat up in that neighborhood and I didn't know how to defend myself, uh, I would get upset, I would get angry, and I had to learn uh, the difference between discipline and punishment. And discipline is when we're obviously learning something, and punishment is when we're actually in trouble. And so I've raised two beautiful boys and have very successful young men now. Uh, by being able to let them know, you know, you're not in trouble unless I say you're in trouble. And I think in the business world, if more of us knew how to, you know, use that as an exercise to just say, hey, listen, this is discipline. This is something that I'm supposed to be learning versus punishing ourselves when we feel we don't do the job that we are potentially able to do. Uh, and and then punishing ourselves, uh, it, it makes a huge difference
0: small business definitely takes grit on the part of business owners. And I see discipline as being in the vein of grit and punishment being like if you're sitting there trying to punish yourself in the vein of, I don't know, like self-pity or the things that people in their own mindset keep in their way.
1: Well, I think that's a good point, Kimberly. Uh, Obviously, none of us come out of the womb. Uh, you know, as an expert in whatever we're typically doing now, I mean, you know, as little boys and little girls, uh, we either dreamt of being firemen or movie stars or police officers or football players or, or something. Fashion, we, designers. We fashion designers. There you go. <laughs> but we, you know, we all had some sort of dream uh, at that point, And I think <clears throat> that's where we get lost is we start to pack our dreams up the older that we get sometimes and we put them on the shelf rather than keeping them firmly focused and in front of us. Uh, and like I said, some people always ask me, well, gee, why help small business people, Bruce? Well, in 2009, uh, I had a 13-hour record-breaking open-heart surgery, and that was not how I wanted to make the record books. But I had a congenital birth defect in the aortic valve of my heart. So here I was in my you know late teens, early 20s, running eight miles a day, being in the military special forces, running with the elite military groups. I was a great athlete. And then all of a sudden, here I am. uh, My little boy gave me strep throat, and I thought I was just going to go to the Minute Clinic, get some medication, and be on my way. And the next thing you know, I was told that I had two weeks to live, or less, if I didn't get on an open-heart table. And so at that point, one of the few times in my life I was afraid and you know, it's amazing, isn't it? How we can travel to foreign lands and be in wars or be in battle zones. I was also in the Los Angeles riots as well as the Contras affair and the Gulf War. And you know, here I was being faced with an open heart surgery. And that was probably more scary than anything else I had faced because that meant me facing my own mortality, maybe not finishing my job as a, as a father or as a husband, or as a brother, or as a business person, and that thought of letting people down, or realizing that, wow, you know, I just took a lot of things for granted, that each and every morning I was just going to wake up and and start my day. And so it was one of those things where uh, my faith definitely has changed, as well as my heart, uh, for small business. Because when I was Younger, and I was traveling more extensively, and my kids were younger. I was getting a lot more of those photos of the baseball games or uh, a call saying, Yeah, our son did this or that. I I was missing uh, the essence of life and the very reason that I was out trying to financially advance, uh, you know, my wealth development for my kids and for my legacy that I wanted to build, but yet I was missing it. And so that started to really make a lot less sense to me than being here and helping other people. And the one thing that I will say about small businesses is that we usually look at big corporations, and that's where our ambitions and our aspirations come from, is we all want to have that great American success story like Jeff Bezos did when he started Amazon. You know, quit his job, took his last $10,000, sold everything he had, packed his trunk up, and and moved to, you know, start Amazon, where he was met with the naysayers to say, nobody's going to buy books, <laughs> you know, from, from you online. Or the Costco story, nobody's going to pay a membership fee to shop in a dusty old warehouse. Well, Costco's a $50 billion company now, so I guess somebody got that wrong. And so I think as many of these major corporations started out, just like many of us, as individuals with a dream and a passion and a small business, uh, unfortunately, we watch some of their marketing campaigns once they have a budget north of a million dollars, and they realize that, hey, I want to follow the leader. And you can do that all the way to your bankruptcy hearing if you're not careful and things don't get done right.
0: Yeah, so true. Okay, let's take a quick break. Okay, we're back. Talking about marketing, there's that idea of branding and marketing. Like you just, you build a brand and you get it out there and people will come. And that's fine if you're, well, I always, you know, talk about Coca-Cola. It's fine if you're Coca-Cola, right? But if you are Bob's dry cleaners, you need to do a different strategy to get people to come to you as opposed to just putting your name out there. Will you talk a little bit about the marketing help that you give to small businesses?
1: Absolutely. Thank you. That, that's a great question, Kimberly. Uh, you know, <clears throat> most people don't really know this or understand this, but 90% of any business's success comes from marketing. And a lot of people, uh, I like to explain that that every company whether it's an individual or a service-based business. um, Everybody has an inside or inner reality, as I call it, and an outer or outside perception. And that means the inside reality is basically who you are, what you or your company and your team does that make you unique in the marketplace. Um, And then your outside reality is how people see you and how people perceive you. And so... If the inner reality and the outer perception don't match, then you won't be successful. And so your marketing communications is what helps make that come together. So if people spend too much time on that outside reality, uh, you will find that uh, you know people get frustrated and you'll have minimal uh, results, even though you may have a superior product or service. I see companies fail all the time that have a great product or a great service, and they say, hey, Bruce, you know, I know uh, so-and-so down the road, and their product is terrible. Well, but their marketing is really good. And so they get frustrated that their superior product or their superior quality or service is suffering by them not seeing the prosperity that they really want because they're so busy working, you know, in their business that they're not busy working on their business from a marketing perspective. And then, of course, we come to the paradigm of marketing and sales in a new technology-rich digital world. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I try to define uh, sales because many of the companies that I did go into as a turnaround specialist, uh, being younger than those senior executives, a lot of those senior executives of Owens Corning or DuPont, etc they were in their late 50s or early 60s and they grew up in an era with advertising with what was called CNR creativity and repetition poster board advertising uh things of that nature Calvin Klein AT&T some of those were companies that I worked with and you know they if they've got 9000 billboards across the country all along the you know highways and byways of of America It's easy to get your point across with branding. But if you are, like you say, Bob's dry cleaning and you don't have that major budget, your marketing message and your inside reality really does truly need to shine so that people understand the value proposition that you're offering them so that, you know, they really get it. Um, You look at companies, uh, again, like Chipotle right now has been in the news recently about their growth and their expansion at over 30%. And uh, they look at taking advantage of things like serving chicken that isn't, uh, you know, that's that's free range with no antibiotics and things of that nature. And so with people watching their health the way that they are, it's an issue of marketing what's important to the consumer that's going to make them buy your product or service.
0: And I love Chipotle. They just recently... Um offered another vegetarian option. I don't know if you know that. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for 22 years now. So for me, I mean, to have what essentially is healthy fast food that is an option for me is amazing, and it's delicious. So, yeah, they're listening to the
1: market. Yeah, so- I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Chipotle, too. Um, I, I've i seen the new tofu Based option, and it's spicy and it's super people, spicy, yeah people <laughs> like if you like that kind of food, then it's obviously going to be great, but I think the the main point is is how many chipotles do you go into where people are again willing to line up outside of the door in in sub zero temperatures, waiting for the delivery of that claim or that promise, and you know one thing that's really important I think to to talk about is the selling of service today. You really can't sell service anymore if you don't get an opportunity to make good on your claim. It's absolutely impossible. So, uh, you know, you, you make a good point. How do, you, how do you sell service in a marketplace if you don't ever get the opportunity? See, if you're not an option, then you're, you're simply not going to win the business uh, that you want to win to either keep the lights on Uh, And I think that's happened to a lot of people is that we now have a a mentality where it's a survival rather than it's surviving, not thriving. And I think that's where people need to dream bigger and they need to focus on prosperity and they need to focus on thriving. And a lot of that does come from, though, uh, building a team. Uh, I think a lot of people... Uh, they put the onus and the responsibility on themselves to wear too many hats. Uh, and ultimately, it can be difficult if you... I know there's a, a lot of people out there that say good help is hard to find. That seems to be a cliche in our society. And, and in some cases, that can be true. Um, but as, I guess, a man of increased faith, there are always going to be variables. I sat down with a client the other day who was having a difficult time and didn't really understand some of the history of uh, the significance of this. And I said, well, you know, a man can cut open an apple and count the seeds of an apple, but only God can count the amount of apples in a seed. There are just certain things that you're just not going to know as a small business owner. And so uh, one of the things that I recently saw, I'd love everybody to take the opportunity to spend the 45 seconds, Kimberly, uh, pulling up on Google. His name is, uh, you know, Eric Schmidt. He was the former CEO of Google from 2001 to 2011 for 10 years before Larry Page took over, who's now being seen as the most ambitious CEO of our time. But Eric there said that everybody needs a coach. Or a mentor. And that meant a lot in 45 seconds because he was a naysayer at first. He said, Well, why do I, as an Ivy League educated and established CEO of probably the most successful company uh, in the world at Google, need a coach? And, you know, his answer was, I did go ahead. I did humble myself. I did take on a coach. And he said, It really does boil down to this. Coaches and mentors, they wind up seeing us in a different light than we often see ourselves. So, what they can bring is a perspective that can help us not only survive, but thrive in whatever we do. So, I think that's, that is just a, that's a well spent 45 seconds to, to have the, you know, have a CEO like that of Google tell you that having mentorship and coaching is is valuable.
0: And it can only be valuable. It's sometimes it's the difference between making it or not making it. So many people go into business because they're excellent technicians at whatever they are in their field. But that doesn't mean that they have all the skills or all the mindset or even all the perspective that they need to be able to take that next step.
1: Yeah, well, and I don't want to ruin that 45 seconds for anybody, but one of the other things that he does say is that if you look at professional athletes and every professional athlete out there, and we just sometimes we're just in it for the entertainment. When you look at 26% of the gross national product of America being spent on movies, Coca Cola, and entertainment, we are a society that loves to be entertained but we sometimes don't see the underlying principles of the things that are going on with those professionals that we love to see, like during the Super Bowl, we don't understand that, you know what, those folks have a coach. Maybe many coaches, as a matter of fact, whether it's defense offense, whether it's a defensive coach or an offensive line coach or a quarterback coach, or again, like myself, a martial arts trainer there is an emergency going on for a lot of small business people right now that are feeling, you know, in an economy growing at less than 1%. You know, who can coach them, who can consult them to prosperity, who can get them to the next level. And, and oftentimes it is an issue that first you have to be willing to submit to the fact that you may not have all of the answers, even though you were the expert or you were the person that started that business. You may have outgrown your ability to pilot yourself to the next level of success. As a matter of fact, the client that I was talking to the other day that I shared that uh, CEO of Google video with said to me, Bruce, I've outgrown all of my mentors. And he says, It's really great that you can now help play that role and help take me to the next level because when it comes to marketing, It's kind of funny how we all seem to think that we know a little something about marketing or advertising because we're always seeing our product or service through our own eyes. And that's one thing I do want to say. That's a fundamental mistake that a lot of people make when it comes to consumerism is that we like to inject our ideology into our own marketing, which means that we're not necessarily sometimes as small business owners listening to what the marketing is asking us for. We're listening to our inner voice as to what the vision is that we seek. And sometimes we are sacrificing a great deal of our success to our own vision when the marketplace is actually asking us to submit to what they want. In order for you to, you know, ultimately get the success that you're looking for. So it does boil down to again, humility. And can you recognize the difference between the market disciplining you or you punishing yourself with a lack of success with a superior product or service because you're simply not willing to listen to the voice of reason that the market is trying to communicate to you.
0: That's interesting.
1: It can be hard to unpack. Uh, You know, I also have people ask me a lot of the time, well, what's the difference between a coach and a consultant? And I think that's another important point that we can make because a lot of people do get that mixed up. Uh, Coach is coach, just like, you know, Mike Didka, you know, did the Chicago Bears. He's on the sideline. He's not the guy on the field throwing the ball Uh, or Don King versus a, a a Mike Tyson. One's outside the ring promoting the business, the other one's in taking and throwing the punches. Uh, coaches and consultants are different. Consultants actually are part of the implementation process. They're actually rolling up their sleeves. They're helping you make that stuff happen. They are a part, an integral part of of your success. So if you are Finding yourself shopping for a coach or a consultant, be it marketing or a strategy or a business plan, or even uh, somebody that coaches uh, like you do, Kimberly, uh, as a, a succession plan with a, estate planning and that as an attorney—that's I, I, one of the things that I love about you—is that you know you help people prepare to have a succession plan because sometimes people just aren't thinking uh, that far ahead. You know, I. When I had got on that operating room table for that 13-hour open heart surgery, I had three days to put my will together. And you know, before, I didn't really give it much of a thought. And if I hadn't had a great coach like you who would help remind me of things like that and how important they are, uh, it doesn't really matter how great a coach or a consultant we are. Uh, sometimes we fail to remove ourselves emotionally from the result. And that is probably the most key, passionate thing I can really share right now with you, as as a coach or a consultant, is that I have found many times that I want it more for a client than they want it for themselves. And once you have that light bulb go on, once you have experienced that epiphany, the entire relationship has to change, and you really do have to be a courage coach because you're then at a crossroads. You have to tell that individual, listen, I'm not so sure that I don't want this more for you than you want it for yourself. So where do we go next when we table and unpack that emotional detachment from the results? Because some people, they've just, again, part of being a great leader is believing in someone when they don't necessarily believe in themselves. And that is the other thing, I guess, that is been paramount in my career. If anybody asks what makes me as successful as I have been, it has been that, firmly planting my hand on somebody's back to say, you can do this. You've got this.
0: You know, they say that all it takes for you to be successful in life is for somebody to believe in you, and it doesn't always have to be you, yourself. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that.
1: I would agree. Um, I think I'll share the one last system that, uh, that I use that I think, uh, is probably something I should have started with. And that is, is that I have a saying that your attitude determines your altitude. And if there's any one thing that we control in life or in business, it's our attitude. And so I have a scale of one to ten. Zero to five is basically what I consider the gray zone where the sky is kind of gray and hazy and you're just not really feeling very good about things. Then you have the blue zone from five to seven where, you know, you're, you're kind of cool, but you're not really warmer or hot. And then there's the red zone, which is again, you know, a football metaphor from the 20 yard line to the end zone. And if your attitude is between eight and 10, you're in the red zone, you're excited You're feeling really good about yourself and about your vision and about what you and your team are doing. And that's when you really do see the performance. And so I think most people do have a detachment. When we sit down, you would be surprised at how much somebody's personal attitude, because life is what's going on in the background, regardless of what our business is, whether you're a doctor or an attorney or whatever else. My mentor was a lawyer and an accountant. And, you know, he taught me that there's two things in business. There are people and money. And so if you show me a people problem, I'll show you a money problem. And if you show me a money problem, I'll show you a staffing problem. And then when you throw the element back of the attitude in, you've got a winning combination. If you get that right, you'll see the results you're looking for.
0: So, Bruce, if people want to reach out to you, how can they contact you?
1: Well, the best thing to do is uh, go to our website at prosperitysites.com uh otherwise uh, people could call uh my mobile phone if they like six one two two zero two six five zero zero that's my my mobile phone and uh then we have a help desk help desk at prosperity uh you can make an inquiry there uh where our chief technology officer and myself uh get those emails and uh then we would be happy to follow up with anybody uh on anything that they uh they might need so appreciate the opportunity to uh, be a part of the small business buzz, Kimberly, and thanks uh, again for having me on your show.
0: Thank you for being here, Bruce. And I'll put a link to your website on our show notes.
1: That would be great. Thank you.
0: Next week for the Small Business Buzz, when I talk about the base foundation you need for your business. We also visit with Professor Plum talking about how business owners can up their game and be better salespeople through trust and rapport. You can find links and other useful information on our show notes at thesmallbusinessbuzz.com and be sure to follow us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you're liking what you're hearing, please give us a good rating and maybe even leave a review. Of course, a lawyer would have a disclaimer, and here is mine. Any information provided on the show is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal advice. The show theme music is Pioneers by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. And the music interlude is Back to the Woods by Jason Shaw, released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.